Hi! I'm Randy. And I'm Claire. And you're listening to Killer Vibes, a true crime podcast. Okay, let's talk about some crazy shenanigans that goes on at this trial. Yes, please. As if we haven't been doing that for like two hours now. Literally. I was just going to say, I was like, there's more shenanigans. There's more. The craziness with the blood and the controversy and the tapes wasn't enough. Nope. There's more. I'm ready. Let's go. (laughs) So (laughs) the first thing I want to tell you specifically. Okay. This has nothing to do with anything, (laughs) but I have to tell you. So Nicole's Brentwood townhome was located at 875 South Bundy Drive. Yeah, so that's ev- hilarious. Everyone kept calling it the Bundy residence during oh the trial. God, really? Yeah. That's amazing. Oh my God. I love Bundy. I don't love him. I, but you, yeah, I we do. know what you mean. Yeah. Oh, that's so good. Thank you for sharing that piece of information with you me. You are welcome. That's so exciting. <laughs> oh my God. I knew you would like that. Okay, so actual important thing. Let's talk about jury sequestration. So this is a tactic that journalists, no, I meant to say judges, (laughs) not journalists. Not journalists. But there's a reason. Okay. (laughs) So it's just this whole tactic that judges can implement if they want to ensure a fair trial and they're really worried about prejudicial publicity or the media influencing the jury in some really dramatic way in which the defendant's constitutional rights would be violated. So it's just like you put them in hiding, essentially. Yeah, yeah, That's really what it is. But this is one of the most extreme versions of this ever. And everyone talks about it when they talk about jury sequestering. So after the incredibly long selection process, which I'm not even going to get into, (laughs) the group of 24 jury members and jury alternates that were selected had to be sequestered. There were two reasons for this. One, it's really high profile, like I just said. But two, which I don't think a lot of people think about, the feelings about this case are so intense. Like, it's like 20 plus years after the fact, and we're still sitting here making really annoying high-pitched sounds about it because we're so worked up. And we had nothing to do with it. Not at all. Nothing. So imagine people, like, when this is happening, connected to the case or having strong feelings about it. The jury was kind of in danger, to be honest. So Mm -hmm. it was also for their safety to kind of remove them from society. So they were taken to a hotel, which all of them thought would be so fun. It was a really nice hotel. So they were like room service and like swimming Mm -hmm. and, you know, fancy room, TV all the time. They were really excited about it. But when they got there, it was a totally different story. They weren't allowed to leave their rooms. They could only watch TV under supervision and during specific times. They had to eat together. They had to, if they wanted to work out, they had to do it in a group with guards watching them. They had to do everything together. And they weren't allowed to talk about the case. So all day they sit beside each other watching this trial and they can't even talk about it when they go home. Yikes. So frustrating. So they were in total isolation, and they couldn't do anything without a deputy watching them. In fact, one juror's nephew died during the trial, and she had to go to his funeral with one of the deputies. Oh. So he, I mean, basically they were just being watched all the time. There were cameras in the hallways. 
they thought there were cameras in their rooms. This was like speculation, but oh, no. it, it's never been proven that there were cameras in their rooms. Yeah, that'd be kind of like a weird invasion of privacy. Yeah, that I wouldn't feel be like. okay. But no. everyone was like, there was this red light on their smoke detectors in their room. So all of the jurors were like, what is we're that? Being recorded. <laughs> yeah, it could have been in every room, Aren't though. all smoke detectors, don't they all have a red light? I don't know, but this is unessential. But that's, I mean, like, I could, I could imagine why they would think that because they're being so heavily guarded all yeah. of the time. That would make sense in my mind. I would get like so, like, stir crazy and I would start to think things like that. So that makes sense to me. People were like going insane. It was crazy. They were literally having the most extreme version of cabin fever that you could experience. <laughs> Absolutely, yes. It was a problem. And one juror had a heart attack. In his room, and he thinks that it was because of the isolation. Like, oh my that's God. what he speculates. And once he was released from the hospital, like it, he was only there for like a couple hours or like a like a day or something like that. He was right. he was okay. It was like a minor heart attack. Yeah, he was fine. I mean, considering <laughs> yeah, considering but, the heart attack. But then he was put right back into sequestration immediately after. And after that can't be good for your health. <laughs> no. And after that happened, the trial actually wrapped up kind of quickly because by the time that that specific juror had his heart attack, there were only two alternates left because several members and several alternates had been dismissed by that point. Oh, my God. Mistrial yeah. if you miss all of the alternates. Yeah, if you have no one to serve on your jury that's been selected and vordired or vordeered, and I, do, <laughs> I don't know how to say that word. And yeah, you have to start over. So that they were kind terrible. of like, mm, let's get this, let's wrap it up. Yeah. <laughs> so that's the awful experience of the jury. I watched the an episode of the show called The Jury Speaks, and the OJ episode is season one, episode one, and it's really good because you can hear, they do interviews with like three or four jury members, and it's really cool. That's neat. So the next thing I want to talk about was the awful sexism towards Marsha Clark. It, it was a lot. So people were constantly commenting on her beautiful hair. They made fun of her suits, which were very practical, like fine suits, and they were kind of cute. Like, I don't know what people had an issue with. People are just rude. That's why. They called her ugly a lot. They called her a bitch a lot, which, you know, any woman who asserts any power gets that. But Judge Ito even treated her differently than the other attorneys. He would interrupt her a lot, and they were during times like really inappropriate times to interrupt an attorney, like during her opening statement, which is your very first impression with a jury. And in a jury trial, you your performance matters. It's not just about the evidence. You have to get the jury to like you enough to listen to the evidence so Absolutely. that you can convince them of your side. So it was just really inappropriate and bad all around. And not that it's surprising that a woman in law experienced sexism, particularly in the 90s. But she really did get the worst of the worst. It was bad. And that's just so irritating because most of the comments that you just talked about didn't have anything to do with her professional career. Yeah, they were all all the comments were about her physical appearance. And like, I'm sorry, but who gives a living f about how you look like if you are presenting yourself in a professional manner, which she obviously was, then what's the problem? She was fine. And she had, okay, the thing with her hair was she had it permed because she was a single mom with two kids that were like, I, I feel like they were like under 10. Like they were a little bit older, but right. not, like they weren't self-sufficient. And she 
was a freaking prosecutor, the lead prosecutor of the O.J. Simpson case. Like, she needed a hairstyle that was wash and go, and she didn't have to, like, style her hair every morning and worry about it. So she got a perm. God forbid. Yeah. (laughs) It's an efficient hairstyle. Like, what's the problem? I have no clue. People are the worst. But the thing that's really awesome about this is Marsha Clark's response to all of it. She did not let it phase her, and it did not affect her job. She obviously would be upset about it and, like, go home and be upset. People were calling her ugly and, like, a a bitch all the time. Yeah, that's not okay. And, of course, it's going to affect your emotional state. Yeah, but she was like, nope, I've got a job to do. I Mm -hmm. have to represent these victims' families. I have to get this done. She she believed so strongly that OJ was guilty that she was like, I'm not letting this affect me and get in my way. I have to be as laser-focused as possible. And she did. And what she, a woman. And she was a, even though there was the glove thing and the Furman tapes, the prosecution's case was really very good. Like, oh, yeah. The defense absolutely. just poked a bunch of holes in it, mm-hmm. but they did with what, did with it what they could. And it was really well done. So, absolutely. And that just, that hurts my heart a lot, especially as like we're sitting here and we're both women that want to go into the profession of law. I just, mm, that just makes me upset. But here's a quote to make us feel a little bit better and just, you know, praise Marsha Clark even more. I love it. Let's do that. Let's praise her. This is a quote from her. She said, all of it is demeaning. All of it is minimizing. All of it is a way to shrink a woman into what is basically a child. Anytime a woman raises her voice and shows her power, they find a way to minimize it. And that's really true. Like, anytime you stand up and you have something to say, you're going to get all of these things commented on that are so immaterial like absolutely they'll find any excuse to bring you down don't let them do it they yes they will let's band together and be the strong women that we are yeah yeah. girl power okay (laughs) (laughs) let's talk about dna for a little bit love it let's do that so the prosecution had a very big hurdle to overcome when it came to explaining the dna evidence because DNA was really, really new. And this was the very first big trial in which it was a main piece of evidence. And like we said, it was all over the place and it was really convincing evidence. And today it probably would have very easily convicted someone. But then no one knew what it was. And so no one really believed it. You know, like if someone's like, oh, we have this weird way of telling exactly who you are with the fluid from your body. Like <laughs> people were like, no, you don't. They completely failed at convincing the jury of it because Yikes. the the experts that they selected just were boring. And the testimony about the DNA went on for 30 days. So, oh, my God. So people tuned out. I would have tuned out. Because they had to explain DNA. I mean, Yeah, you have to literally break it down. Yeah, and so it just lasted a long time. It was just like, not legal jargon. It was like (laughs) scientific jargon. Mm -hmm. It was boring. No one really understood it. And people just didn't, it just didn't stick with the jury. And they were like, nah, not going to consider that. Not really interested. Which is kind of fair. It needs to be presented in a way that's easy to understand, and it wasn't. And then the cross-examination from the defense, our favorite guy who started the Innocence Project, just, like, tore it to shreds. (laughs) Absolutely. On top of it already being, like, not great, 
the cross just ruined it. Absolutely. They should have gotten Bill Nye, the science guy, to come in and explain it. You know what? Yeah, they should have. <laughs> and that sounds like a like a silly joke, but it's really not. You do no. need to, you have to like perform Get a personality to a jury. Yeah. yeah, absolutely. <laughs> They'll listen to you if you perform. I mean, like there's this TV show called Bones and one of the episodes is about how this forensic anthropologist literally cannot connect with a jury because she is so callous yeah. and like doesn't know how to explain things in a layman way and you have to do it like that right and that's kind of we've now presented like a little bit of a double standard because we were just saying like Marsha Clark like it doesn't matter it doesn't matter and then we're like it does but at the end of the day it shouldn't matter but it does does. like that's the sentiment to take away from this and she wasn't doing this like callous thing she was like presenting her case in an efficient way well no people really did think that she was not very friendly and Mm. just like too serious or too bland or whatever so right and that can yeah, that doesn't have anything to do with her appearance, though. Yeah, but people also were commenting on her behavior and her personality. Yikes. And yeah, I mean, that's just like what I said. It's just it shouldn't matter. But, but it, it does. does. Yeah, that, that, that makes sense. So the only other two things that I really wanted to talk about, but that I'm not going to because I don't this can't be a thousand years long is the book. If I did it, Confessions of a Killer. Go look that up. It's a really interesting And the fact that Dominic Dunn was a reporter for this case for Vanity Fair, I wanted to talk about that a little bit, too. His daughter was murdered, Dominique Dunn. Oh, my God. And so he's just an interesting character that's kind of in this story as well. Ooh, so many interesting characters. Yeah, I'm not going to go into those two topics, but if you're kind of new to the case, I would look those two two things up if you want to know some more interesting stuff. Mm Mm-hmm. Okay, so now that we've completely talked about all the things Mm -hmm. that are so exciting. So exciting. Let's talk about our opinions. So in 2014, 83% of people in a CNN poll believed OJ was guilty. Mm -hmm. And this is pretty much everyone's thoughts on this. Yeah. If you talk to like, you know, the general public. Mm -hmm. Us over here in the true crime world like to have different (laughs) opinions. We like to debate reality every yes, once in a while. it's fun. Mm-hmm. So before I tell you mine, let me get yours, Claire. Now that you, because okay. you were team, I think he's guilty, kind of, before, mm-hmm. but now that we've told you everything. Okay. Yeah. So I have shifted slightly more towards the innocence plea, but I'm not fully over on that side, just because while the defense did a very effective job in creating this reasonable doubt that is extremely reasonable, The fact that they brought up the sort of like conspiracy about the blood is something that I could get behind. Absolutely. But because it's such it's like it's there's not a lot of little far fetched. Yeah, it could be seen as this really far fetched ideology of like, of course, they didn't plant blood. Are you serious? And then the timeline is kind of off because they got the blood the same day, like after the crime scene had already been discovered and was like booked and everything. So that I'm a little tentative on, but everything else is pretty effective coming from the defense. So like, and of course the glove stuff is crazy. Um, Like the thing about um, Mark on the stand and hit the tapes, I'd never heard that before. And that was a big drawback for me, at least in terms of him being totally guilty of everything because they could have planted stuff but I do absolutely understand why the verdict was not guilty because before I didn't understand that I was like I don't under like the glove is effective but because I didn't know all of these other pieces of evidence that were presented by the defense and all of these reasonable doubt things that came up I didn't realize that those things were present so 
I was confused about the verdict. So I'm glad that you explained that to me because it is very helpful into understanding why he walked away from it. Cool. Okay. I like that. Yeah. Love it. Thank you. So considering his past with spousal abuse and especially considering those 911 phone calls, which I would encourage you to look up if you don't Mm -hmm. hate like listening to a 911 phone call. Yeah. I don't mind, but. (laughs) (laughs) But we're morbid, so whatever. (laughs) Considering all of that, I do not doubt that OJ was capable of murdering Nicole and Ron. I agree. Uh, sorry, I didn't talk about the spousal abuse, but that's another factor that always plays into it as right, well. Right, yeah. And in 2017, the CDC reported that over half of the killings of American women are related to intimate partner violence. I over, believe that statistic, absolutely. Over half. So, like, of course, that's yeah. a possibility. And, of course, it's a huge issue. And we do have an atmosphere that actively ignores this problem like it's really not okay no but with all of that said we can't jump from oj is capable of murder to oj did murder like that is not that's logical (laughs) no and if you've discussed oj with me before you know that i love to take the stance that he's like totally (laughs) innocent without a doubt in my mind but that's mostly just because I love a good debate. Oh, yeah. She totally does. I'll just, You'll, I'll, like, support anything. I really you may will. not believe in it, but it's, like, a lively debate scenario. So it's very interesting having, having like, drunk conversations with you. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It's like, a, it's like a fight to the death. It's true. It's, mm-hmm. it's a lot. That's usually why I end up going, oh, my God. Why? How could you possibly, possibly think, think he's guilty? He's guilty. How You're dare crazy. you? That's insulting. <laughs> but when it comes to my actual opinion on this case, I really don't have one. And I can't have one. And I think that that is totally on the LAPD. They're totally to blame for that. We are talking about very real systemic racism, a very real possibility that evidence was planted. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. You can't discount that at all. It's very reasonable, like we've been saying. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And it's probable that OJ murdered Ron and Nicole. But the LAPD created a situation where finding real justice and finding the actual answers is impossible. Yep. And the LAPD can't go back and like treat it all properly. Like they can't go back in time. Nope. And it's totally on them. It's 1000% their fault that we don't know what happened. I Yeah, that's a very effective argument. I yeah. And that sucks. Like it sucks for the families who don't have real justice. And it sucks for the prosecutors who worked their butts off for this case and mm-hmm. failed essentially. Like yeah. it, re- it just sucks. And yeah, it doesn't even like really matter if he did it or not. It's like we'll never know in the end. Right. But the one silver lining in all of this is that a statement was definitely made with the verdict. And at the end of the day, this case is about a lot more than justice for OJ. It's about justice in general. It totally called out the LAPD in a way that was definitely needed, especially following the acquittal of the officers who beat Rodney King. And it demonstrated that the justice system can actually work in the way that it's supposed to sometimes. Mm -hmm. Because for the most part, He was presumed innocent, which really doesn't happen that much. And the burden of proof was actually on the prosecution in the way that it's supposed to be. And the jury noticed all of the reasonable doubt. And sometimes they just don't even pay attention to it or completely ignore it because they just feel, you know. They feel a certain way about it. Feel a certain way and they completely ignore. I got a vibe. Yeah. That's not justice. He looked guilty. It's like. Read your jury instructions. (laughs) Do your civic duty. And they did in this case. Totally did. Yeah. So we may not know what happened on the night that Nicole and Ron were viciously murdered, 
But we do have a lot of really great representations of justice in this case. Mm -hmm. And I'm satisfied with that. The LAPD have been corrupt forever. I talk about that in the Black Dahlia case, too. Yeah. Freaking assholes. (laughs) Anyway. If you don't know this, which I don't know if you know this. Okay. OJ did lose a civil case for the wrongful deaths of Nicole and Ron. And the jury awarded the families $33.5 million in punitive damages. Holy God. No, I didn't know that. So he was found guilty, essentially, but in in civil court because you can't retry people because of double jeopardy. So they basically were like, what what else can we do? Like, we don't feel like we had justice. So there is any other avenues. So there are some there is some Mm -hmm. justice for the Goldmans and the Browns. But. They didn't get the justice in criminal court, which in terms of like imprisonment or something yeah, like that. Because all you can really do in civil court is make someone pay you a bunch of money. But they got a lot of money, so so at least they got <laughs> that paid out off. of it. I mean, like that'll be a huge burden that he has to bear, right? And I so. said that I wasn't going to talk about the book if I did it, but while we're on the topic, all the proceeds of that book actually go to the Goldman family. That's wonderful. So yeah, look that up. Yeah, it's because, really like, interesting. Let's be real. He probably did it. Pro- I mean. He probably, probably did it. I'm going to say probably, but he probably did it. <laughs> so in 2008, OJ was convicted of armed robbery in Las Vegas for stealing sports memorabilia that once belonged to him. So it was his, but he like sold it or gave it away, mm-hmm. probably to pay the Goldman and the Brown families. Yeah. And he was sentenced to 33 years in prison, but he got out on parole in 2017 so he's kind of just chilling in Nevada right now. Awesome. And that's what is up with OJ. Thank you for the update. I appreciate it. <laughs> You're welcome. I could tell that you were really yeah, into like, that. So here's where what is, is he now? Where is he now sort of situation? <laughs> I love it. So as much as I want to talk about this trial all day, every day, yeah. forever, I forever. will never get tired of it. Mm-hmm. We do have... Two murder victims to respect here. Nicole left two children behind. Ron was barely starting his adult life. And what happened was really awful and really senseless because we don't really know what happened or why. So all we can assume is that it was for no good reason. I mean, all murder is for no good reason. But this one is particularly poignant due to the fact that we don't have any information about it at all. Right. And they don't get nearly as much attention as they deserve, like I said in the beginning. So... If you're listening, since we've all spent a long time talking about OJ, let's send some like collective warm, fuzzy vibes to the families. Mm -hmm. All of our brain power. Thinking about them at the same time. We'll project our warm auras. Yeah. Like, it's such an interesting case, and I didn't know a ton about it. So thank you for sharing all this information with me. I appreciate it. You're welcome. I hope that all of you listening learned something new and that I didn't just tell you everything you already knew. But I am so down for an online discussion about this case, and I know Claire is too. Absolutely. Now that she's armed with all this knowledge, she's going to get out there and debate everyone. Let's go. So tell us if you think he's innocent or guilty, and we'll probably just argue the other side. (laughs) (laughs) It'll be fun. We are on Instagram at killer vibes underscore kcsufm mm-hmm. and thanks, thanks for, for listening. listening bye, bye.